Welcome to the Voice of Many podcast show with Yolanda and Vanessa. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Our podcast will not be possible without you and our sponsor, Z-Funk Productions. This afternoon, we have a very special guest with us. We have a doctor in the house. So just stay tuned and more is to follow. As we stated, our guest today is Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike Wasilik. I know I didn't say that quite right, but good evening, Dr. Mike, and thank you for joining us. Good evening. Would you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're located? Well, I'm from Tampa. I've been here uh, 42 years. I practice orthopedic surgery in Tampa, mostly at the main hospital, St. Joseph's, and uh, uh, I basically have finished practicing, and I'm retired now. Can you tell us about who's inspired you throughout your career? I would think that the biggest inspiration I had, you have, I have to go way back. I am a, as many people in this country, I'm a product of immigrant parents. And they came to this country and basically held menial jobs so that their children and grandchildren could do better than they did. And uh, my father had no education. My mother had to quit work in the eighth grade. Her father died of black lung wow. when she was in the eighth grade and they had like nine children. My mother was like third from the top, so she had to drop out of school and work in a shirt factory. And she's a real inspiration to me because when she was little, she picked cotton. And when she was older, she worked in a shirt factory. And the interesting thing that I found out recently was that her older brother was upset with her, and he was a good guy. I don't mean to not say good things about him, but she, uh, at that time, I believe it was in the 40s, or no earlier than that, was making $5 a day, which was an enormous amount of money. And she was making more than he was working in the coal mines. So he got upset, and he quit the coal mines, and went to Detroit where he got a job in the automobile industry. So, but the question was, is who inspired me? Well, my oldest brother, I had a brother. I was like the baby of the family. And my brother was many years older than I was. And I was uh, probably seven or eight years old when he was drafted to go to Korea. And I tried to stop him going, but obviously I couldn't do that. He was there one year, and he came back. He was a machine gunner, and he never talked about the war at all, as many folks who are veterans will not. Yeah, he came back, I found out, 
recently had two bronze stars and a unit citation. But when he came back, he wrote letters to all of his colleagues who were in the military, and the letters all came back that they were deceased. Oh. Apparently, one apparently one week after he left, he uh, the Chinese. And if you read, there's a good book, uh, Frozen Hours, and the Chinese would with guns and bayonets would go up the the mountains. And if they survived, they would kill everybody. So everybody in my brother's uh, company was killed uh, one week after he left. So he always had the survivor's remorse. But anyway, he was the first person in my family to finish high school. And then because of the Korean War, he went off to college and uh, uh, had eight years. He was an optometrist. And uh, it was because of his leadership that it was expected I would just do something with we didn't have any money, so it was, you know, I had great parents that just said, we can't help you, but you can do anything you want to do. So back in those days, I found jobs that I had that uh, I was able to work my way through undergraduate and four years of medical school and come out without any debt, which is unheard of these days. But mm-hmm. the, the tuition was cheaper and the uh, the... Jobs are available, which I don't, the jobs I did are not available anymore. So I don't know what I, I probably have to borrow my way through like all these other unfortunate students do. Uh, but that was my, my brother was my real, real inspiration. And then after that, there were so many people that, uh, you know, that I've come in, uh, come in contact with really good doctors who, who, have uh, like Davis Bowling here in Tampa who passed away. But he was really a quality doctor and he was just a, a good guy, very honest guy, and just always did the right thing for patients. And uh, during the residency, I was fortunate enough to come in contact with some of the really great uh, teachers. I had a really great spine surgeon, a guy named Henry Bowman. Uh, the head of our program was a was a guy named Charlie Herndon. He'd done a lot of the uh, children's work. So I've been I've been a very lucky person and very fortunate to get the training I've got. I remember leaving high school and uh, looking back at the school, I was on the other side of opportunity. And I didn't know what would happen to me, how I'd get through school and and. Again, a very lucky person. All my dreams have been fulfilled. Mm. Wow. Can you tell us um, how the virus, COVID-19, has impacted your life? It's, I think it's affected everybody. In my life, it has... Uh, uh, my wife has developed dementia, and she's in a home for dementia. And we had never been apart over six days in 51 years. Wow. And uh, we were, obviously, I wasn't able to see her for months, although I could call her, and I did call her every day. And uh, so that was the problem, although I think that I'm grateful for it. It's very difficult for the folks, the leaders, the governors, to do what they do because this was so different 
than anything we've seen in the past. And the shutdown for the nursing home was the thing to do. And I recently saw the governor on, I believe it was, uh, what, uh, on the Levin show on Saturday night. And I was very impressed at how much work he put into all his decisions. And he talked about the nursing homes, which obviously are significant to me. And he realized that families weren't seeing their loved ones. Mm -hmm. And so he developed a couple of focus groups and he's set it up now. I, you know, I've been tested negative and I, you know, they practically put me in a hazmat suit, but at least mm -hmm. I'm able to go and see my wife, you know, again. And uh, so that, that was the hardest thing for me. Other than that, it's, you know, as a physician, mm -hmm. this was not that big a deal. I mean, physicians and, and nurses, God bless our nurses, are used to taking risks all the time. So it never really bothered me that much. I, I wear a mask. Uh, it's been really hard, I think, on everybody. I've never seen anything like this. And uh, the a lot of the stuff we're getting, probably because nobody knew what they were dealing with, is so um, difficult. I mean, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, uh, uh, you know, uh, shut down, don't shut down. You know, there's just been a lot of conflicting advice. It's sort of like the weather, you know, you wait 15 minutes and then changes. So everybody's mm -hmm. confused. There's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of fear involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is an unusual period in our history. And I'm hoping that we'll get through it in the next few months. Uh, you know, the shutdowns need to be very, in my opinion, need to be very targeted. They need to be targeted to nursing homes and to high-risk patients. And if you do a shutdown other than that, all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. Uh, eventually it's going to go away when we get herd immunity and which is basically enough people have been exposed to have antibodies that there's no place for the infection to go. If we have a vaccine that will help out because that adds to herd immunity as it does, does with the flu. But, uh, yeah, I think as everybody, it's, it's, it's affected me somewhat and, uh, but mostly on a personal basis. So I know um, you said you and your wife had not been apart in six, the longest part was six days. So can you tell us when and where did you meet your wife? Well, it's a typical story. I was a physician, or I was an intern at the time, and she was a nurse. And uh, the story is, is that I found her very attractive, and I uh, went to ask her out, and I thought she sort of rebuffed me. And so I just, you know, walked away. And then the, as fate will have it, I was driving to the hospital maybe the next week. And I saw her get up on a bus and walk down the center aisle of the bus. And I thought, gee, that is a very, very pretty lady. I need to give her another chance. And it turned out she was quite interested, just as shy. And so we started dating. And I think that was, you know, we've been together ever since. So now you said you've been married 50? 50, 51 years. Uh, actually, uh, last uh, October 4th. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, happy belated wedding anniversary to you. Anniversary. 
Oh, man. I went to I went to her room and I fed her hospital food. It used to be we would celebrate by having lobster and champagne, oh. and uh, he had uh, some uh, cafeteria food with uh, apple juice. Oh, I'm sure that you know being together, you know, made it all worthwhile. Still, you know. Mm-hmm. Good. Do you think it's the key to a successful marriage that you and your wife have had a great marriage, it seems like? Yeah, I think we have had. The key, I think, very strongly, and it's what I advise younger people, is that you need to be in love with the person you marry, but they need to be in love with you also. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a two-way street. Mm-hmm. If you've only got love going one way, it's not going to work out. And so the only reason to get married, in my opinion, is that the person you love loves you as much. And you look at them and they're more important to you than you are. That's very, very deep. That's very good. Very good. So um, I hear, as, as you know, we have a very strong source that um, you still have a mean swing when it comes to the golf club. No, I don't. I don't know where you got that. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually a tennis player, and I'm a tennis player because I, when everybody else was doing sports, I was working to work my way through school. So I didn't start athletics until I was in my 30s. And I did become a decent tennis player, not a good one, but a decent one. I had surgery and the results of the surgery were a paralysis of two nerves to my right arm, which really led to my retirement from practice. And also, I can't raise my arm up so I can play tennis. Mm. The nice thing about golf is that you only need one arm. <laughs> so I can play golf with one arm, and uh, I can hit it far enough that uh, and I'm old enough that I, I almost hit from the children's tees so that I don't the fact I don't hit it so far anymore doesn't matter. So I can play golf. I would rather play tennis, but I, I'll be a, I'm a year away from that probably. Oh. You still have so much youth in you. I'm going to say youth because um, you still, you're very active, very active. Well, I've been active my whole life. I started working degunking Jeep when I was 12 years old. Again, that's a job you couldn't do anymore mm-hmm. and maybe you shouldn't. And uh, I didn't realize, because I never looked back, that I really worked for 65 years, probably at least 50 hours a week. And it wasn't until I sort of shut down my practice that uh, I realized that. And uh, so this past year since my practice has been shut down, I've had you know time to myself, which I never had before. But, you know, the time, the needs or the work expands to me the time allotted between the time I needed for sure and, you know, doing other things. I'm more busy than I thought I would be, and it hasn't been. Retirement is an evil word in my family. We consider it a cuss word. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but it hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be. It's been okay. okay. Now, um, can you please... Give a few words of wisdom and encouragement to our listeners who um, 
one, are thinking about going into the medical field, two, um, that are thinking about jumping the broom. Um, I mean, COVID has changed a lot of plans for people. Um, many marriages had to be rescheduled. So, and then you have couples nowadays that are having to stay in together when they're used to just seeing each other in passing. So you have any words of encouragement that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Well, there's three questions there. You asked about going in the medical field, and I can't think of any better place to be. I mean, it's just uh, it's a gift to be able to be a physician or a nurse and to take care of people. Uh, there's no greater calling, in my opinion. I'm a little biased, but I encourage people to go into medicine. I think it's a great field. You can do so much good. And, uh, and like I say, it's a gift to be able to do so. Uh, the marriages, that's interesting because I have a nephew that was going to get married in Toronto. He's got a really lovely, uh, his fiance is just a lovely lady. And, uh, but they can't go across the border. <laughs> so, marriage, as many people have, marriages of fathers, from what I'm aware of, become less frequent, there's more justice of peace, and uh, uh, they're being delayed or they're, they're much smaller. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the third thing is, uh, you know, the, the thing about the, the problems with how it affects you at home, uh, I, I just don't think you can be governed by fear. You can be concerned and do things appropriately. I mean, I don't fear the virus, and yet at my age, with I would might not survive it. And uh, but uh, I wear a mask, although I'm not sure a mask is of any value. Uh, it is for large particles. Uh, there was a recent CDC study that came out where 75 percent of the people who developed the virus ended up uh, were wearing masks full time. Hmm. And uh, and the reason for that is that the masks are good for large particles and small particles will go through a mask. I wore a mask the whole life because I'm a surgeon. and uh, But I wore the mask to protect my patients from me mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't infect them. And when I had more high-risk procedures, we would wear, wear what is equivalent to a hazmat suit. We're, we're actually inside a suit that has a vacuum so that nothing would fall on a patient. There's no skin, no, you know, no particles of skin, no bacteria. And, and that's really the only thing that, uh, would, can really protect people. I remember when AIDS came out, AIDS initially was a death sentence and we had to take care of patients with AIDS and we would wear a hazmat suit. So if I knew someone had AIDS, that was great because I could take the necessary precautions. There was a lady doctor and I forget her name in San Francisco. San Francisco had a large gay community. So the, the AIDS was at, at that time associated someone with uh, homosexuality. And then it initially, and, uh, she didn't know she wore a hazmat suit with every procedure she did. 
because she never knew who had AIDS and who didn't. Mm. And like I say, way back when, when it started, it was a death sentence. And now it's, uh, you know, medicine really moves on. Uh, I think that uh, we've learned so much about this virus and the treatment of it is getting better. Well, what the president went through, you know, not everybody's going to get what he gets. Obviously, the antibody is, is a reasonable thing to do. And he got the antibody cocktail, but there are medicines coming out that should be around shortly that are going to reduce the inflammatory response, which is usually what ends up harming people, especially in the lungs. And uh, vaccines will come out, and if they are effective, uh, they'll help us get to herd immunity. And then, you know, I don't know, if I always remember when we get the flu every year my office one of my staff would get the flu and then another one would get it they would just go around the room till we all got it and after we all got it we were fine we, we and we did fine for a year again this is a different virus it's, it's uh you don't know exactly what the history of this will be but i'm really hopeful that we'll get it under control in the next couple of months I hope so, too. I really do. Dr. Mike, thank you so much for um, being with us, for sharing, for providing us with a lot of knowledge um, and education. Um, Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to finally have some time to talk with you. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Good night. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Voice of Many podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, please contact us on our many social media web pages. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel, and we hope to talk to you later.